All right, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Um, I want to be completely transparent. <laughs> um, I keep saying, you know, people tell me that I need to say blah. I make it sound like I have producers and a lot of help. Uh, I'm the only person who makes the show. It's just me alone in a bedroom. Um, and uh, But my dad tells me I'm supposed to tell you that, hey, Strong Opinion Sports is not just a YouTube channel. It is, in fact, also on iTunes, on Spotify, on SoundCloud. You can hear an audio-only version of Strong Opinion Sports. It's entirely it's a podcast, and it's everywhere you can listen to podcasts. If Maybe you don't like podcasts. Maybe you're a YouTube person. Uh, if you're just a YouTube person, great. Tell your friends who like podcasts, hey, there's this goofy guy named Zach Schaumler who makes sports content. He's out there. I just want to remind everybody that Strong Opinion Sports is more than a YouTube channel. Um, look, here's the deal. <laughs> uh, basically, everything has been canceled. Basically, everything has been canceled. Uh, there's a thing going around that has the same name as a beer company. I'm not allowed to say what that thing is. Not that I have a boss telling me what I cannot, can and cannot say. I mean, not technically. Uh, you know, on iTunes, they don't care. On Spotify, they don't care. Everywhere the podcast goes, nobody cares if I say the name of the thing that is circulating the globe, getting people um, in, truth, in, in problematic times. Um, <laughs> but if you use the name of the thing that is going around that is the same name as a beer brand, uh, you get demonetized on YouTube. So for today's episode, we are not going to be referring it to it as <laughs> We're going to be calling it. Uh, I, I haven't thought of a name actually. I didn't come this far. We'll call it Television Remote. Uh, Television Remote is going around. <laughs> That's a horrible name. I'm sorry. I'm doing the best I can. Um, and as a result of that, uh, March Madness is canceled. Um, the XFL season is canceled. Uh, the NBA season has been delayed and postponed. They're they're supposedly going to reevaluate in about a month. My estimation is that in a month when they reevaluate, they'll probably go. Uh, yeah, things are worse. <laughs> We're not going to finish our NBA season. That's pretty disappointing. Very sad. I mean, look, I, the NBA playoffs were going to be phenomenal this year. I'm really sad we're not going to probably have them. I hope we do. Hope I'm wrong. I listened to a Joe Rogan podcast about uh, the you know about TV remote that's going around. And basically what I learned was it's going to get worse, not better. <laughs> it, so if that guy's right, then we're in trouble. Um, the NFL draft was moved back until at the very least late May. Um, the MLB, se- MLB season has been postponed. Even the Formula One race I was really excited to watch in Australia was canceled. I'm very sad. Uh, there's not a lot going on, so sports are completely on hold. However, good news, uh, at least for me, I don't know about other people in the sports world, um, Strong Opinion Sports is going to be very uniquely fine. Um, I, I I am lucky. I'm very fortunate. A lot of, I'm just going to focus on making film analysis videos, which I know is what people honestly want anyways. People keep saying, when is film analysis coming? And I've been saying, relax, be patient. I was very aware that the minute that the XFL season ended, there's going to be nothing. You know, all of summer is pretty boring and bland. Well, now it's going to be even more boring and even more bland. We'll probably have some free agency stuff. Who knows when the NFL draft is going to happen, but we do have a lot of film analysis stuff. Uh, I'm very, very excited that uh, I get to honestly, like, it's kind of nice to get to really dive into that stuff. I was just waiting for a rainy day. Well, that rainy day has arrived. Uh, on March 18th, NFL free agency is supposed to start. Um, I think it'll happen. That's mostly just phone calls. They don't need to gather a large group of people to make that happen. So that should be fine. Um, and, you know, in light of all this stuff, in light of television remote going around and bothering everybody and making people have problems uh, with their health, um, I actually have seen, I, I got to say, the best side of humanity. It's been a weird couple weeks. Uh, grocery stores have been insane. It actually snowed where I live, which is like it never, ever, ever snows where I live. So I had a snow day yesterday. I made a snowman with my girlfriend. It was super fun. Um, and, you know, I was checking out Winco Foods two days ago. Uh, I was buying uh, four gallons of water because what I do, I have a really bad sinus problem. And I use a sinus rinse every single day. And because I'm, I don't like going to the store very often. So whenever I go to the store, it's $4. I buy four-gallon containers, move on with my life. Well, I'm checking out a Winco. I have like... Four gallons of water and a slice of bread, you know, a, a thing of bread. And they're like, um, sir, by the way, lines were insane. I was like, I'll just deal with it. Uh, and they said, hey, sir, you can actually only buy uh, two gallons of water because of, you know, said television remote going around and bothering people's health. 
Um, <laughs> you, you can only buy two gallons of water. And I was like, oh, like, whatever, fine. You know, I, I check out, I'd move on with my life. Um, and I'm loading up my, my two gallons of jug and my, my, my water, and what do we call it, my, uh, my thing of my bread into my cart. And the woman behind me taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, I bought these for you. Here are two more gallons of water. Just, I know it's times are tough, whatever. Here you go. And I just was like really kind of happy, you know, instead of, it was two per customer and she decided to behind me buy, you know, spend her two on me. And I was pretty cool. I, I just saw the good side of humanity where I think we have an opportunity as television remote goes around and bothers a lot of people and hurts people's health. Um, number one, I hope everybody's being safe and being totally healthy, but also recognize that just a little tiny gesture of kindness, buying two gallons of water for the person in front of you can go a long way. Uh, I know things are very weird. Italy is destroyed right now. Uh, a lot of stuff is going on all over the world. And I just want to encourage people, number one, wash your hands, be safe, but also be kind. Just be kind to people. It's a really good principle in life anyway, but especially as you know, television remote is going around and bothering people and hurting their health. Uh, it's, it's very good uh, to just be kind and have that attitude towards the rest of the world. So that's, that's kind of the message I want to share. Um, I had a good experience. Someone was very kind to me. I hope everyone passes it along, uh, and they do not pass along the television remote that is rapidly spreading around the entire globe, and we're probably all going to die from it anyways. Probably not. I'm kidding. That's obviously a overdramatization. Can't even make that joke because people will, uh, will, will, will very much get angry at you because of, again, television remote. I can't believe I did that. I ad-libbed a terrible name for said thing that is going around. Um, I want to shift gears to this. A new NFL CBA has been agreed on. That's an agreement between the NFL Players Association and the league, you know, the NFL owners and the commissioner and all the group of people running the NFL. And if you don't know, CBA stands for Collective Bargaining Agreement. And this one will last the next 10 years until 2030. And here are some of the changes that the new CBA in the NFL has caused. Number one, in 2020, there will now be two more playoff teams. Yes, seven teams from the AFC and seven teams from the NFC are going to make it into the playoffs. The number one change here is that only the number one seed in the NFL playoffs will get a bye. That will be during wildcard weekend. Every other team is not going to get a bye week during the playoffs. So now I believe the battle for the number one seed will be fiercer than ever. Another change is that minimum salaries in the NFL will be increased. Uh, you know, the players are going to get a larger overall portion of the pie. I believe it's 48% of all revenue goes to the players now. So they get a bigger slice of the financial pie, uh, the players do, as a, uh, overall. The NFL is also going to allow larger game day rosters, even though NFL teams have had 53-man rosters for a long time. On game days, teams were actually only allowed to have 46 active players on game day. So you know, if you have 22 NFL starters, 11 on offense, 11 on defense, let alone special teams, that means every position on offense and defense only has one backup plus two extra players, maybe three quarterbacks, wherever you want to distribute those extra two players. Now teams can have more than 46 players on a game day. That's going to be a huge difference. Um, teams are also going to have a larger amount of total players on the roster, up from 53 was the old number. Now 55 is the new number of roster play players on a roster. Practice squads have also gotten bigger from 10 players up to 14. That means every single NFL team, has the ability to have six more players on their roster. If you do the math, 32 times six is 192. That means there are now 192 new jobs for players in the NFL. That's a big deal. Uh, it's overall good for the sport because more players are going to get paid and more players are, this is a bigger deal to me, more players are going to be on practice squads and get developed. Guys that were overlooked, maybe played in the XFL, uh, guys like Donald Parham, a really talented tight end who played for the Dallas Renegades, who was on the Lions practice squad but got cut. He now has a higher chance of staying on a roster and ultimately getting a chance to play on Sundays in the NFL. That's really, really good. Now, the NFL has also made a change relating to marijuana. There will now no longer be suspensions for positive marijuana tests. And I'll be honest, I am so... So happy about this change. Not because I'm a big guy who smokes a lot of weed and pot. I, I, you know, uh, I do live in Washington. Decide whatever you want with that. Um, but it's really just not a performance enhancer. It doesn't make you necessarily better on Sundays. And now people will probably get mad about that and argue. Um, the best way that marijuana is helpful to an NFL player 
is it makes it easier to recover from pain after a game. Look, I know this is a big issue. Marijuana is something that makes people very angry. Um, but that, to me, that's just a fact. It does help players. I know NFL players who use marijuana after games to recover. It's a real thing. Uh, and I'm glad the NFL is loosening their grip a little bit on marijuana use. Um, again, I know a number of NFL players who use it during the season. Now, although the rumor going around is, oh, no more getting in trouble for marijuana, it's not necessarily true. They are still testing for marijuana. Uh, but the period of time you can be tested goes down from a month to a two-week period right before training camp, which means that, hey, if you don't do any marijuana for about a month before that two-week period, you get tested, you move on. The rest of the year, you're totally open to use marijuana pretty much as much as you want. If you do get caught and tested, then you have to pay a fine. Uh, They can only fine you for up to three weeks of pay. Uh, And the other thing is that if you get caught four times on the fourth time, you can, in fact, get suspended uh, for, for games, but that's like four times getting caught. It's pretty difficult. Um, I honestly, my opinion, because I don't think it's really a performance enhancer. It helps guys recover. I do not, which I guess you can argue it's a performance enhancer, but I think it's just good. Like injuries are a big deal. Guys are getting their heads beat in. Can we give them a, an easier way to recover and feel better after getting bashed on on Sundays? Um, I believe the NFL should not test for marijuana anyway i think the reason why they are testing actually straight up is not because they care about marijuana use but more because they're afraid their fan base will get mad if they don't and they don't want a culture of hey everybody in the nfl is a total stoner they want to avoid that so they will test a little bit i think it's more for show than it is for actually a purpose of stopping people from smoking uh, marijuana and having you know edibles and all this stuff and again if it largely doesn't care and the testing is more for show than anything um but hey I don't think they should test, but again, it's it's progress. It's a, a step towards helping the players recover and get better after injuries. And again, I, the two-week testing period, if you can't you know, uh, uh, basically avoid marijuana for a month before the two-week testing period and get through it, you probably have a problem. Anyway, it's, it's not that hard to trick the NFL, you know, quote, trick. They don't really care. It's kind of token testing for, for show more than for actually a purpose of trying to stop a player from uh, consuming and smoking and, and eating edibles and doing marijuana. Now, here's the biggest change coming to the NFL season. As early as the 2021 NFL season, the NFL will be able to start having 17-game regular seasons. I am pretty sure because of the financial incentive, obviously, that the minute they're able to do that, they are going to, in fact, jump right into having a 17-game season. Um, Now, you got to realize that the reason why this happened is that the Players Association got a ton of stuff in the CBA, everything basically went in favor of the players. Marijuana got you know more lax. Uh, they got more money, got more people employed in the league. Now, the reason why NFL owners gave up so many things was because they wanted the players' association to agree on having a longer season. That was the number one aim of the league and of the owners. They wanted a longer 17-game season. What this will do is in 2021, as soon as it can happen, which I'm sure will happen immediately once it's possible, we will have a shorter preseason of three games during the preseason and then a 17-game regular season. Again, my one problem with this is I wish there was another bye week added to the season. Um, But people don't realize how long an NFL season is. It's basically three total seasons. You have the first part of the year, September, October, where a team will look really good. Then injuries will kick in. There's that middle half of the season. Then there's that final half of the season um, I'm kind of sad because statistics are all screwed up. I mean, like people are going to be saying, well, this guy in 17 games had this many yards and this guy in 13 games had this many yards. Like, it's not really comparable. You can't compare the previous era to the current era. It just, that's why I hate statistics anyway. They're not really at great a showing of how good you are. There's a lot of empty stats and things moving around, but even more now than ever before, all time stats are going to be totally skewed because of a 17 game regular season. Um, but all in all, I don't think it's bad. I think that the changes made to the new NFL, the CBA, has changed a lot of things for the positive. Uh, the number one change I think to pay attention to is that, obviously, the 17-game season is a big deal. The players are happy about the marijuana, the, the lacks of restriction on marijuana now. Um, but adding two more playoff teams is a really big deal. Um, the Rams would have made the playoffs this year. The Steelers would have made the playoffs this year. I think in the end, it's good for the sport to have more playoff teams. I was hesitant. I was concerned. But really what we're going to get is week 
15, 16, 17, and then someday 18 at the end of the year, the final month of the season is going to be even more competitive and more interesting than ever before because there's now three wild card spots, three extra, you know, three teams that don't win their division will make it into the playoffs. It's going to be so much fun. Um, and the playoff hunt is going to be more interesting than ever. Now, the other thing to pay attention to is that only the number one seed in the NFL gets a playoff bye. That's a massive, massive deal, uh, which means that the battle for the number one seed in the AFC, the battle for the number one seed in the NFC is going to be fiercer than ever. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and again, all in all, I think the changes the NFL CBA has caused on the league are actually all pretty solid. I don't have a gigantic gripe with any of them. Um, change is change. I don't love change. I really would have been happy and fine with things staying the same. But the players got so many benefits and so many things have changed in favor of the players. That makes me really happy. I'm glad that the minimum salary got raised um, because you know careers are so short. And I, I like the thought of players getting as much money as they possibly can in the window of their career. Like guys like Tom Brady are fine. You have to think about the offensive lineman that plays only, you know, he plays three seasons. He's got to make as much money as he possibly can in three seasons. Offensive linemen, backup receivers. It's the little guys that really got a lot, a massive, massive life quality of life improvement from the new CBA. That's really good, um, and I, I'm really happy with the changes that the NFL has made with the new CBA. All right, guys, I want to shift gears to a film analysis video. Uh, really a topic, I guess. What do you call it? A film analysis topic? Um, we're going to be talking about Denver's quarterback, Drew Locke. And so let's get into that right now. Last season, as a rookie quarterback in Denver, Drew Locke started a total of five games. Week 13 through the rest of the season. Now, the number one question I wanted answered from film is whether or not Drew Locke is a franchise quarterback. Or at the very least, could he become a franchise quarterback. So, without further ado, here's what the film says. If you're going to talk about Drew Locke's rookie year, then you have to talk about his ability to run around and extend plays. This aspect of his game cannot be understated. And I'll be honest, I did not see it coming. The dude ran and ran and ran around a ton. He moved around, he avoided pressure, he kept plays alive, and then ultimately threw the ball downfield it just was so impressive to me the way that Drew Locke ran around behind the line of scrimmage last year. Now, here's why I believe he's a franchise quarterback. On film, I saw three really important things. Number one, I saw improvement over the course of the five games he started. Number two, I saw overall good decision-making. And number three, Drew Locke has undeniable talent. The dude throws the ball really well and made some attention-grabbing plays. Let's start by talking about his decision-making. I was so impressed with the discipline he showed. His willingness to take what the defense gave him underneath rather than forcing throws downfield. You know, in college at Mizzou, Drew Locke's teams were often not as talented as their opponents. And I believe that at times in college... Drew felt pressure to make a big play to help his team. I call it hero ball. When a guy gets impatient and tries to make a big play, rather than just focusing on making a good decision. Now in the NFL with the Broncos, he was able to just focus on making good decisions. He showed a willingness to throw the ball away instead of forcing throws into coverage. And one of his most disciplined plays of the year was when the Broncos ran a trick play called a flea flicker, and nobody was open, but he did not get greedy and force a throw downfield. Instead, he just ran for as many yards as he possibly could. I got to give Drew Locke a lot of credit from last year. He spent the first half of the season injured, and it's pretty clear he used that time to mentally prepare and learn the playbook. He came in with a pretty good understanding of his pre-snap matchups, and he did a good job working through his progressions to his second, third, and even his fourth read. Now, you have to acknowledge this. Drew Locke plays in Denver, which means he has to be able to handle snow. Well, I'm happy to report the dude throws the ball pretty well in the snow from an arm strength and physical standpoint. You do have to realize, though, snow still makes route running difficult and can screw up a quarterback's timing. 
But that's more how Drew needs to improve when playing in the snow. At least his physical baseline's really good. He can throw the ball well enough. He can cut through the wind. Um, it's the little things he needs to get better at by dealing with snow. But from a physical standpoint, he's more than capable of playing the quarterback position in a snowy, windy game. Now, here's the big problem I saw on film when watching the Broncos. It's their offensive line. They really struggled. And unfortunately, it seemed like no matter who they lined up at right tackle, anybody they put at that position got beat consistently. I've talked about how Drew Locke ran around a lot, but unfortunately, a lot of the time, the reason why he was running was because the offensive line screwed up and there was pressure in his face. And there were a couple times where pressure in his face caused Drew's timing to get screwed up, forcing him to throw the ball too early and causing an incompletion. There were some moments last season where he showed flashes of risky behavior or the potential beginnings of bad habits. There was an unfortunate moment where he bailed out of the pocket too early, even though there was no pressure on him. Now that can happen to a young quarterback who constantly has a bunch of pressure in his face. It's only a concern, though, if he develops this into a habit and becomes skittish in the pocket. I also talked about his habit in college of playing hero ball and forcing throws downfield into coverage. This happened one time last season against the Chiefs. It was kind of a regression at quarterback where he was losing 23-3 to in the third quarter and he forced a throw into the end zone to a receiver who wasn't open. He was trying to make everything happen in one play rather than being patient. He threw an interception against the Texans. It was a deep ball down the right sideline. He was just late and the ball was underthrown. But it was actually the right idea. If he just made the throw sooner and thrown a more accurate ball, then it probably would have been a completion. This interception is not a huge deal to me. It's just a simple tweak. Throw the ball earlier, put it in the right spot. That's a completion. Now, there were an additional two more concerning plays against the Chiefs. Number one, he threw a ball that should have been a pick six that got dropped. But number two, he threw an interception that got called back because of a defensive holding. Now, even though the interception didn't count, the decision-making process was concerning. The Chiefs' defense brought a six-man blitz, and the Broncos' offense only had five guys to block those six. Drew got surprised by the immediate pressure, kind of panicked, and threw the ball up for grabs. Drew cannot make a mistake like this next season. It's an easily fixable mistake that he needs to be prepared for next year. He needs to be able to recognize the pressure the defense is bringing. How many guys can we block? He should expect that pressure. He needs to have a plan, pick his best pre-snap matchup, and get rid of the ball immediately. Quarterbacks got to be calm when they're blitzed. A team bringing extra bodies after them is a good thing. It means that either there's a weakness in the zone coverage or you have a favorable matchup with man coverage downfield. I have to say, though, all in all, I really enjoyed watching Drew Locke's progression over the course of last season. You know, during his first start, he had a couple moments where there were some miscommunications and some really close misses, even a bad interception where he didn't see a linebacker waiting underneath. But as the weeks went on, he progressed. And by week 16 and 17, he put it all together and made really good decisions, and they won both games. I believe Drew Locke is a franchise quarterback. In his rookie season, he showed not only a lot of talent, but also the capacity for good decision-making. The only way I believe Drew Locke will not make it is if those few risky plays he made develop into bad habits. Things like playing hero ball or not trusting his offensive line. But I believe in him. It's really clear from his film that he works his butt off to improve and prepare off the field. And you got to acknowledge he was a much better decision maker in the NFL with the Broncos than he was his senior year in college. Now at the end of this, I want to highlight three players who stood out to me on film. Number one is Tyran Matthew, a safety for the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't have a lot to say other than that this dude is a beast. He really stood out. He made a lot of really great plays against the Broncos, and uh, he deserves a lot of credit. Number two is Broncos running back Philip Lindsay. He was a very important part of the Broncos' offense in 2019. He runs hard. He runs through tackles. He gets a lot of yards after contact. And the Broncos use him a number of different ways. He's a stud, and I think he's going to be an important part of their offense next year in 2020. 
Now, number three is the Broncos tight end, Noah Fant. He was a rookie last year, and oh my goodness, this dude is a beast. He made so many big plays last season, and I believe Noah Fant is a future star tight end in the NFL. Now, that is everything I learned from watching film of Drew Locke's rookie season. All right, um, it's time to introduce a new segment. I'm calling it Predictions versus Reality. Um, I'm going to do it for the next couple weeks. I've had this plan for a long time, uh, but you know, similar to film analysis, I was waiting for, I was saving it for a time when it was needed. I knew that the NFL offseason was going to be a long one. Now with the special thing going around, we're calling it television remote because of YouTube's demonetization policies. Um, you know, it, it's going to be an even longer offseason than we predicted, so I moved it up. It's time for it now. And what we're going to do is revisit the predictions I made going into the 2019 NFL season and talk about where I was wrong, where I was right, what actually happened. It's going to be really fun. You know, I genuinely enjoy revisiting topics that I was wrong about. It's really fun for me to go, I was wrong about this. Here was my thought process. Here's why I was wrong. Here's what happened. I, I enjoy that. It's really fun for me. And I think you guys do too. A lot of people out there seem to really like when I admit my faults and admit I was wrong. It tends to be pretty popular. So this should be a really fun series. I'm calling it Predictions versus Reality. And I want to start with the AFC North. Now, it's really funny. Uh, last year, I predicted the Cleveland Browns to go 10-6. and six. I predicted them to win their division and make the playoffs. Now, uh, obviously, I was very, very wrong about this. Um, but I loved their roster so much. I loved their talent. I talked about how they had Baker Mayfield at quarterback, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr. at receiver. Kareem Hunt was going to be joining the team after week nine. Uh, they had running back Nick Chubb. They had David Njoku at tight end. They had a really great defensive line with Olivier Vernon, Sheldon Richardson, Miles Garrett. I even mentioned Antonio Callaway. <laughs> and, uh, you know, by the way, Antonio Callaway didn't even finish the year with the Cleveland Browns. He got in trouble for... Um, you know, a, a drug violation, and then ultimately got booted from the Cleveland Browns in November. And I just, I think it's so funny. I talked about how talent was not an issue for the 2019 Cleveland Browns. But what's funny is I also said this. Uh, there are two things that I believe can hold the Cleveland Browns back from making the playoffs if things do not go well. Number one is their offensive line. Now, the other more legitimate concern to me is everybody's attitude in the locker room. It sounds silly, but it matters. You know, this is Freddie Kitchens' first time ever being a head coach in the NFL. Again, the Browns are amazing on paper, but this is not. This is not Madden. It's easy on paper to go, wow, look at all that talent. Look at all these guys. But my question is, do the Browns have enough emotional maturity to reach their full potential. I know that's not a sexy term. I know that might be annoying for Browns fans. They've heard it a bunch. You know, I think the Browns are more than good enough to win their division. I think even make a deep run in the playoffs. They're a really talented football team, but will they get in their own way? A lot of teams are going to try really hard to get in their heads and make them trip up. Now, I believe in the Browns. I do. I think they're, <laughs> man, I'm one of the people that I, I really believe in them. But if there is anything you're going to be concerned about, it's the emotional maturity in the locker room. Again, I think the Browns are going to go 10-6. and six. They're going to win their division. Uh, I, I'm really excited for them. But that is the one thing that could slow them down this year. Talent's not the problem. Do they get in their own way with their emotional maturity? 10-6. and six, That's my prediction for the Cleveland Browns. Man, uh, it's, it's unbelievable to me how somebody can be so right and yet also so, so wrong. Uh, yeah, I predicted the Browns to go 10-6. and six. They actually went 6-10, and 10, the complete inverse of what I predicted. Um, and uh, they were third in the NFC North, not first. And, did, did, you know, they did not make the play. You know. Man, um, it is unbelievable to me how somebody can be so right about so many things and yet still so, so wrong. I was, of course, very, very wrong. I predicted them to make the playoffs. I thought they were going to go 10-6. and six. They actually did the complete inverse of what I predicted. They went 6-10. and 10. They were third in their division. And uh, here's what I nailed, though. Number one, I was right about the Browns' offensive line. The Browns' offensive line was a massive issue. They had huge, huge problems. 
All the talent they had at skill positions did not matter because, hey, you have great receivers, but it doesn't matter if the quarterback doesn't have time to get them the ball. Or all these great running backs are kind of irrelevant if the offensive line gives them nowhere to run. The offensive line was a massive issue. All of the you know issues I was concerned about were fully realized. The offensive line was bad. And number two, I was worried about the Browns' big personalities and emotional maturity. Ooh, I nailed that one. Uh, it started with the Cleveland Browns quarterback, Baker Mayfield, and his, I would call it actually, like anti- antagonistic interactions with the media. He was very, very confrontive and had a lot of problems, a lot of outspoken quotes and things like that. And then, you know, the season goes on, and really, it ended with Miles Garrett hitting Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph over the head with his helmet. And, uh, you know, Miles Garrett was one of the Browns' best players last year. He blew his lid. He got suspended for the rest of the season. And I also made a video talking about how, you know, I, I was right. Like, emotional maturity was a problem. The Browns' offensive line was a problem. I also said this in a video. It was called, the video was called, It's Fair to Be Skeptical of the Browns. Here's what I said. Take a listen. It is entirely fair to be skeptical of the Cleveland Browns and their head coach, Freddie Kitchens. If the reason why you are skeptical of Freddie Kitchens is because he's never been a head coach before. If that's your reasoning, I support that. It makes sense to me. You know, I said, man, the fact that Freddie Kitchens has never been a head coach before is a problem. And in fact, it was a big one. I was right about that. Freddie Kitchens repeatedly showed how unprepared he was to do the job of the Browns head coach. Number one, he could not handle the big personalities in the Browns locker room, albeit Baker Mayfield, albeit Miles Garrett. In fact, he actually made the Browns and Steelers feud even worse by wearing a shirt that said Pittsburgh started it, which really just made the Browns look even worse. And how can you expect your players to have emotional maturity and situational awareness if your head coach doesn't even have it? It was a giant mess. You know, he also completely showed a lack of ability to adjust uh, the offensive play calling. Regularly, he called bad play calls given the situation. He clearly had no idea how to use Odell Beckham Jr., the Cleveland Browns' number one wide receiver. He was in way over his head. In fact, he got fired at the end of the year. I also, I talked about this, you know, the Cleveland Browns, a lot of talent. The 2019 Cleveland Browns were so talented. And in the end, I actually compared them to 2011 Philadelphia Eagles here. Listen to this. Does anybody remember the 2011 Philadelphia Eagles? They went eight and eight. And people called them the dream team because of how talented they were. At Michael Vick, who was the year before in 2010 almost an MVP, got second to Tom Brady, and the Eagles were coming off of a year where they were the number two offense in the NFL. They had Michael Vick, Namdi Asamoa, Dominique Rogers, camardi Jason Babin, Steve Smith, Vince Young as their backup quarterback, Ronnie Brown, LaShawn McCoy, Brent Selleck, Deshaun Jackson, Jason Peters, Jason Kelsey, name after name after name, really good players, a lot of pro bowlers. All this talent in that team went eight and eight. My point is talent does not necessarily mean you're going to win games. So in all, my 2019 Cleveland Browns predictions were pretty messy. Uh, And it's bizarre how I could point out all of the flaws that their team had and yet still predict them to make the playoffs. You know, in one hand, I was so right. And in the other hand, oh my gosh, I was so, so embarrassingly wrong. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, it's, it's funny how I, I, what I think happened is I ignored so much of the information right in front of me. I kind of had wishful thinking, you know, my whole lifetime, I'm not a Cleveland Browns fan at all. Um, but I, I, I think my whole lifetime, the Cleveland Browns have been bad. And I just was hoping like, is this the year finally where the Cleveland Browns turn things around and get their act together? And, you know, 2019 clearly was not that year. In fact, they went six and 10. They were third in their division. Their head coach got fired. And oh my gosh, Freddie Kitchens was awful. And all the signs were there for their team to be a mess. The offensive line, the head coach, the emotional maturity in their locker room. And, um, you know, I just, I think it was just wishful thinking for me to put them into the playoffs in my predictions. I was totally wrong, even though I pointed out so many of their flaws. So that's what I think happened. That is what happened. That is predictions versus reality of the 2019 Cleveland Browns season. Now, let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens because, man, I was wrong <laughs> about the 2019 Baltimore Ravens. I predicted them to go 7-9 and nine and just miss the playoffs. 
Hoof. Uh, they actually went 14-2. and two. They were the number one seed in the AFC playoffs. And I, I just, again, I missed. I completely whiffed on this prediction. But I will say, you know, going into the year, I was really, really curious to watch their offense in 2019. Take a listen. Here's what I said. There is no offense in the entire NFL I'm more curious to watch this year than the Baltimore Ravens. My theory is they're just going to run the ball all the time, over and over and over again. That's their new philosophy with the Ravens. We are going to pound the rock. Last year, the Ravens quarterback, Lamar Jackson, ran the ball all over the place. In fact, in his first seven starts, seven starts alone, just the first seven, he broke the single-season NFL record by a quarterback for most rushing attempts, again, during a single season. I've never seen an offense quite like it. It's interesting. It's intriguing. Um, One notable thing this offseason is that the Ravens promoted Greg Roman to their offensive coordinator position. Uh, His background is in the running game. If you go look back to 2017 when Greg Roman was first hired, he was brought in as an advisor uh, to fix the Ravens' running game. He's kind of a genius and a guru when it comes to running schemes and blocking schemes. And to me, the message is very, very clear. By promoting Greg Roman, the Ravens are saying, we are going to run the ball a ton. I don't know what to expect. It's going to be really fun to watch because uh, I don't think we've ever seen an offense that is going to run the ball as heavily and as much with a quarterback as we're going to see this year from the Baltimore Ravens. Man, uh, young Zach, you know, young me, had no idea what was uh, going to happen in 2019 with the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens' offense was, in fact... A blast to watch last year. Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, came up with all kinds of really creative running schemes, which helped Lamar Jackson, their quarterback, dominate. Um, He threw for 3,127 yards, 36 touchdowns, six interceptions. Here's what's crazy. He actually ran for 1,206 yards, another seven touchdowns. He was the NFL MVP. They were the number one offense in the NFL. Again, they were the number one seed in the AFC playoffs. And uh, I will say I had two concerns Going into the 2019 season for the Baltimore Ravens, here they are. Take a listen. The Baltimore Ravens lost a bunch of defenders. They lost C.J. Mosley, a linebacker who signed a gigantic contract with the Jets. They lost uh, lost Darius Smith, who was their sack leader last year. He went to the Packers. And they no longer have Terrell Suggs and Eric Weddle, two longtime veteran leaders in the Ravens locker room. Uh, now, one thing you can, one like kind of positive spin you can put on it is that the Ravens did sign Probably one of the best, one of the best, if not the best, free safety in the entire NFL, Earl Thomas. Um, but I think it's really unfair for people to expect this to be the Ravens' defense of old. This is a different Ravens team. They're going to run the ball more than we've ever seen, and they're not the same defense we've seen in the past from them. My opinion on the Ravens this year is that they're going to really struggle if they run into an offense that can put up a bunch of points because they're not going to be able to keep up the same way. If they run into the like the Browns, for example, Baker Mayfield puts up forty-five points throwing the ball over the place. Their defense isn't the same it once was. They're not as good. And if a team is throwing the ball all over the place, they can't keep up because their offense is predicated around running the ball. Um, I think, again, when the Ravens run into a really high-scoring team like the Chiefs or the, I think the, uh, the Browns or the Saints, they're going to really struggle because their offense won't be able to keep up with a high-scoring passing attack. So first of all, statistically, the Baltimore Ravens' defense was one of the top five defenses in the entire NFL. They lost a bunch of dudes, but what happened was they succeeded anyway. Other dudes stepped up, and they made a, a key trade. You know, safety Chuck Clark stepped up. He led the team in total tackles with 73. Uh, they traded for corner Marcus Peters from the Rams. Him and Marlon Humphreys tied for the most interceptions on the team with three. And uh, Matthew Juden stepped up. He had nine and a half sacks to lead the team You know, getting a prediction right is not incredibly important to me. I honestly really love uh, just seeing what happens. And even when I'm wrong, it's fun because I get to talk about what I was wrong about and why and what happened. Um, I got a lot of things wrong about the Baltimore Ravens. But here's an odd reality. You could argue that the Ravens struggled to keep up with high-scoring offenses. I know that's weird because, you you know, they put up 59 points on the Miami Dolphins. But think about this. Only three teams scored more than 23 points on the Ravens all season. And they lost all three games. They lost week three to the Kansas City Chiefs, 33-28. They lost week four to the Cleveland Browns, 40-25. And in the divisional round of the playoffs, they lost to the Tennessee Titans, 28-12. 
All three times a team scored more than 23 points against the Ravens, they lost. It's weird. It's a weird reality. You know, only five teams all season scored more than 20 points on the Ravens at all. And if you wanted to, you could say that, and you could argue that despite the Ravens high-scoring games, you know, again, 59 points on the Miami Dolphins is not terrible. But you could argue that all of the Ravens' high-scoring games were lopsided victories, and you could say that really the only three times the Ravens needed to score a lot of points, they were unable to. They were technically unable to keep up with high-scoring offenses. They lost all three of those games. And so you could argue that the Ravens' weakness was their inability to keep up with other high-scoring offenses. But I got to say, it was really, really fun to watch the Ravens in 2019. It was a blast. I'm excited to watch them in 2020 to see how they build off of their success from last season into next year. Um, I was really surprised when they lost in the playoffs at home to the Tennessee Titans. I'm excited to watch Lamar Jackson uh, he gave one, me one of my favorite moments of the year. I, you know, a lot of people think I don't like Lamar Jackson. I think I don't think that's entirely fair. I love Lamar Jackson. He's awesome. Um, he gave me one of my favorite moments of the year where, like, he just destroyed. I think it was after the Dolphins game, week two, where he just put on a show, threw the ball a bunch all over the yard, and had a great game passing. And he kind of looked at after the game in the podium in the press conference. He looked at the camera and goes, "I don't know, not bad for a running back." And I just I love that because Lamar Jackson is so, he gets it, man. Like, he he's really plays with the crowd. He doesn't mind that people doubt him. He believes in himself, and that's all that really matters to him. And so, uh, when I see a guy like Lamar Jackson succeed, I'm just happy. Like, I really, really enjoy. His personality's great. He's great for the league. He, he killed it last year, man. He really changed the quarterback position a little bit with his ability to run the ball. And uh, I have nothing but good feelings for Lamar Jackson. And, uh... I'm actually pleasantly surprised at how wrong I was about the Baltimore Ravens. It seems like if any team could have a 14 and 2 season, be the number 1 seed in their division in the in their conference, excuse me, then uh it couldn't have happened to better, better people than Lamar Jackson, John Harbaugh the head coach. I love everybody in Baltimore. They seem like good people. I, Lamar Jackson especially seems awesome and so um that is the predictions versus the reality of what happened in the 2019 Baltimore Ravens season. Now, uh, let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. I predicted the Pittsburgh Steelers to go 9-7 and seven in 2019 and finish second in the AFC North. Um, I also thought they'd get a spot in the wild card round of the playoffs. They did not, but I was pretty close when it came to predicting their record. Uh, they went 8-8. Eight and eight. I predicted them to go 9-7. and seven. But I got to say, um, in spite of the fact that my prediction was pretty close, they went 8-8. Eight and eight. They finished second in their division. I said 9-7, second in their division. Um, my substance was way, way off of my prediction. I could just say, hey, I was right. I got really close. But no, we, we got to acknowledge what happened. Um, the Steelers were actually way, way better than I expected last year. They had so many injuries. They lost a bunch of starters throughout the year. They even lost their starting quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. But despite the injuries... They were still a really good team. I mean, up until the final week, they were in the playoff hunt, really had a chance to make the playoffs. Um, and I just want to really give them props. You know, they went 8-8 eight and eight at the end of the year, but they did it, you know, starting a third-string quarterback, Devlin Duck Hodges, for six games. I mean, they went 3-3 three and three with a third-string quarterback last year. Nobody could predict that. Nobody could anticipate that. And you have to give a ton of credit to the Steelers head coach, Mike Tomlin. He was phenomenal. Um... Mike Tomlin got the absolute best out of his roster last year. And if the truth is that if the Steelers had been able to be healthy, this is why I said my substance was really, really wrong. You know, if the Steelers had stayed healthy last year, I mean, I would have been massively, massively wrong about their record. Eight and eight with all the injuries they had is actually really an impressive accomplishment. And uh, I also got to say, I was really worried that losing Le'Veon Bell, their running back, losing Antonio Brown, their receiver, was going to hurt them long-term and hurt them last year. <laughs> oh, boy, was I wrong about that. I think they were actually better off without Le'Veon Bell and without, you know, Antonio Brown has been a disaster off the field. So um, I just got to say, I have a lot of respect for the 2019 Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a team I'm going to remember for a long time. They went 8-8, eight and eight, but it's one of the most impressive 8-8 eight and eight seasons you'll ever see. And that is really what happened in my predictions versus the reality of the 2019 Pittsburgh Steelers. 
Now, let's talk about the Bengals, one that's been really fun. They're, a lot of the Bengals fan base hates me. I don't think it's entirely fair. Um, I predicted the Bengals to go 3-13 and 13 in 2019, and uh, the record was actually far worse. And not far worse, but a little bit worse than I predicted. They went 2-14, and 14, not 3-13. and 13. Um, But the team was about exactly as bad as I predicted them to be. Here's a little bit of what I said going into the 2019 season related to Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals make me so sad. I'm predicting that the Bengals are going to go 3-13 and 13 this year. Um, look, I, I am rooting for the Bengals. I like their new head coach, Zach Taylor. I like how he spells his name. He spells it Z-A-C the same way I do. Um, and he's supposed to be really great with quarterbacks. I'm sure he is. But injuries ruined last year for the Bengals in 2018. And it looks like it's already going to ruin this year for the Bengals. Um, injuries are just a problem for that. I, I've never seen a team deal with injuries more. Uh, their number one overall pick, Jonah Williams, Torres Labrum in OTAs. He's out for the year. As offensive tackle, they were so excited. They drafted from Alabama. Done. Their first round draft pick is out for the year. <laughs> then their top wide receiver, AJ Green's already injured and having problems missing practices. It's not great. And in the AFC North, in a really tough division with the Browns, the Steelers, the Ravens, you cannot afford to have any kind of problems. You can't have a setback. You just can't afford it. So the sad reality about the Bengals' new head coach, Zach Taylor, is that he was unable to help the Bengals' veteran quarterback, Andy Dalton, last year. Uh, Andy Dalton regressed last year. And if you want, you can be an Andy Dalton apologist. You can say, well, hey, he played on a bad team. It's not fair to Andy Dalton. You can do that if you want. Um, But also the reality is that at one point, Andy Dalton got benched for rookie quarterback Ryan Finley. That's not good at all. Andy Dalton... And Zach Taylor, it just didn't work. He was not able, and Zach Taylor was not able to help or fix Andy Dalton's problems. Uh, also, sadly, A.J. Green was hurt and missed the entire season last year. Now, I think the reality behind the scenes is that A.J. Green wants out of Cincinnati, but Cincinnati's ownership is really stubborn, and they're not going to get rid of him. I was also really excited to watch Cincinnati Bengals receiver John Ross last year. Take a listen. Here's what I said about John Ross. John Ross. He's a wide receiver. He's entering his third year in the NFL. And he is, he's from my home. He, he played college football in my home state of Washington. His rookie year, he was hurt a bunch. And then last year, he was basically in a dark void. You never heard from him. He had like one highlight that was amazing in the preseason. That was it. You never saw him from him again. But John Ross is an incredible athlete. He has a, he ran a 4.22 40-yard dash. He's an explosive athlete. And I believe that Zach Taylor's new offensive scheme is going to find ways to take advantage of his talents. He's an incredible explosive athlete that's a mismatch for a lot of people. I'm excited to watch how the Bengals use John Ross this year and if they can get more out of him than he's ever been doing in the past because he's too athletic and too gifted to not become some kind of threat in the NFL. So um, it's not going to be fun. Look, I, I expect the Bengals to go 3-13. and 13. It's going to be ugly. I'm sorry. Um, but I think they're going to have a top two pick next year, and then maybe they can rebuild with that. Um, but injuries, you, you can't have a bad start in this division in the AFC North. It's just not going to happen, and they already have. And it, it kind of I hate to say your year is ruined, but you're going to get clobbered by the Steelers and the Ravens and the Browns. You know, it stinks, man. John Ross only played eight games last year. He got hurt again. Now, he did have a career-high receptions, 28 catches. Ooh, but unfortunately, that's just not a very impressive number. And really what it shows is that if that's his career-high, it shows how much he struggled to stay healthy and to make an impact over the course of his career. He did have, you know, he had three total touchdowns last year, which is actually four less than he had in 2018. John Ross, the reality is he had very little impact on the Cincinnati Bengals in 2019. He also had a horrifying, really dangerous injury, which meant he broke a bone near his uh, chest, an artery in his chest, and he almost lost. It was really, really dangerous and really, really bad. Um, you know, John Ross didn't pan out last year. A.J. Green was hurt. Andy Dalton regressed. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals were awful last year, and I was right. I mean, they did get uh, a top-two pick. They're actually going to have the number one overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. And we will see if they can use that draft pick to rebuild their franchise and rebuild their roster. Um, I, I love Cincinnati. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. Uh, a lot of people think I hate the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm actually planning to move to Cincinnati 
in September. Like I really, really love Cincinnati as a city and I would love for nothing more than to watch the Bengals get better and better and have a great year and have a great time as a franchise. But the sad reality is that um, they just really have struggled and they struggled last year and we'll see if they can turn things around in the next couple years as a franchise. So that is exactly what happened in my predictions versus reality for the 2019 Cincinnati Bengals. I want to shift gears now to some NFL news and some free agency talk. I want to start by saying this. I simply do not see a scenario where Tom Brady goes back to the New England Patriots next season. I just don't see it happening. Uh, There have been multiple reports in the last couple weeks. We're going to go through each of them. Uh, The first thing that was reported is the... The, the report that the initial talks between Bill Belichick, who makes decisions related to football in New England, and Tom Brady did not go well. Uh, then the next thing that was reported was that the Patriots offered Tom Brady a one-year deal worth actually even less money than he made last year. And then it came out uh, just recently that Tom Brady wants two things from whatever team he plays for in 2020. Number one, he wants some control over the roster. And number two, he wants control over the play calls. Um, To me, it's over for Tom Brady in New England. He can have control over the play calls in New England. I think that would have been fine. Uh, But Tom Brady's not going to get control over the roster. Bill Belichick, I believe, does not want to give up control in New England to anybody, including Tom Brady, the quarterback. Um, Adam Schefter just reported that Belichick and Brady don't hate each other that they just both kind of want a new challenge, which makes complete sense to me. Um, you know, they've been there, done that. I think things have just gotten stale. Uh, you know, we'll call it creative differences. They want to move on in a new direction and do it their own way and not have to deal with each other anymore. I think it makes sense. I don't think, I really don't believe that they massively hate each other. I think just that, you know, Belichick wants to prove he can do it without Brady and Brady wants to prove that he can do it without Belichick and their careers are both coming to an end and, Um, I think they're ready for a new challenge. It makes total sense to me. Now, I believe the reason why the Patriots offered Tom Brady the contract they offered him was that, number one, they can always say, hey, Brady left. Even though we did offer him a contract, he just didn't want to accept it, didn't want to take a hometown discount. And, you know, even in in court, you know, not really in court, but in the court of, um, you know, sports remembrance, you can say, well, hey, the Patriots tried to give Tom Brady a team-friendly deal. He didn't want to take less money. That's on Tom Brady. They'll always be able to make that argument. But number two, if Tom Brady had accepted what the Patriots offered, they would have had a cheap option at quarterback next year. I think that's what the Patriots are looking for. Um, I think that what's most likely for the Patriots in 2020 is that they're going to sign some kind of quarterback in free agency or make a trade for a quarterback, whether that's Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, Philip Rivers. I mean, I would love to see Jameis Winston in a Patriots uniform. How insane would that be? Um, but I think something like that's going to happen for the Patriots next year in New England. Now, Brady's desires make a lot of sense to me. You know, notice in the two things Brady talked about that he wants, finances did not come up. Tom Brady doesn't care about money. He wants to win, and he wants to win and I mean, he, he really, I think, b- believes that in order to win, he needs things to be his way. And he's like, look, I'm going into my last two years of my deal. I am not going to be in a situation like I was in New England. I want control. I want to be on a good roster where I don't want receivers I like and believe in to get traded away or not given enough money. And so the fact that Brady wants control over the roster makes total sense. He's had control over play calling for a long, long time. That's not a new thing at all. Um, so Tom Brady's desires make complete sense. I think it just goes back to there's no way I see Tom Brady ending up with the Patriots in 2020. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it's likely Tampa Bay, maybe the Raiders, maybe the Colts. But the number one thing I do not see happening for Tom Brady, I would just, I would be shocked. And it'll be really fun if he does go back to the Patriots. We can all talk about how, oh my gosh, can you believe it? But I just don't see a possibility where Tom Brady plays for the New England Patriots next season. I just don't think it's going to happen. Okay, I want to talk about Derek Carr. Um, I'm working on a film analysis of Derek Carr. It's in the works. People don't realize how long the process is for those videos to take and those topics to make. Uh, they just take forever. And, and I hope I can finish the film analysis of Derek Carr before major news about him breaks. 
Um, but in case I can't finish that in time, I want to say this. I would not be surprised at all if the Raiders moved on from Derek Carr. This would not shock me. I think it's actually more likely to happen than not happen. Um, you know, the Raiders like Derek Carr as a person. But the Raiders keep waiting and waiting and waiting for him to improve. And, uh, you know, from a decision-making standpoint, Derek Carr has not executed well enough at all in the last couple of years. And uh, the belief in the building of the Raiders is that Derek Carr has not been the same since he broke his back a couple of years ago. And uh, that's understandable. I mean, Derek Carr, that's a major injury. That's not a, an insignificant thing at all. That's a big, significant injury. Um, but for the Raiders, it's also a business. And um, Derek Carr has not performed well enough in the last couple of years. He's been skittish in the pocket. He's been a bit nervous and hesitant. He hasn't executed well enough. And uh, he's you know really shied away from getting hit. And you can't have a quarterback who's afraid to get hit. That's just a big deal. So again, I want to say this just in case it happens and I don't have time to get anything else out about it before it does happen. Um, I would not be surprised if the Raiders moved on from Derek Carr. In fact, I think it's more likely the Raiders are going to move away from Derek Carr than they are to keep him. I just I would be shocked and surprised if Derek Carr was still the Raiders quarterback next year in 2020. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think they are ready to move on from Derek Carr. Now, um, the rumor is that the Dallas Cowboys offered Dak Prescott a 100 million dollar contract and that in fact Dak Prescott turned it down which is like what to me that's insane I cannot believe Dak Prescott turned down a 100 million dollar contract from the Cowboys he should have taken the money I just I think Dak should have taken that contract um yeah I believe that if Dak Prescott hits free agency and can sign with any team he wants he's gonna actually run into a rude awakening he's gonna realize oh uh Maybe I'm not as valuable as I really thought I was. You know, there was a, a long time ago, actually not a long time ago, uh, just recently there was a Nintendo, a Sony Nintendo prototype game console that came out. So a long time ago, Sony and Nintendo were working together, and then they had a falling out, and Sony decided to split off and make the PlayStation. But for a while, Sony and Nintendo were planning to make a game console together. And so somewhere in the world, there is a, a prototype for a Sony a Nintendo video game console that is got both logos on it. It's very interesting, kind of weird. And there was a guy out there that had one of these consoles sitting at his house, and he decided to sell it. And the rumor is that he was privately offered $1.2 million for the video game console, this old relic which has Sony and Nintendo hardware in it. And um, he decided to turn down the $1.2 million offer, at least this is the rumor, and entered it into the auction. Now, the sad reality is that at the auction, uh, the console only sold for around $300,000. $300,000 versus $1.2 million. That's a massive, massive difference. Like $300,000 is great, but it is not as good as $1.2 million. The guy should have taken the deal when he had one. And I think it's the exact same situation for... Dak Prescott. I mean, we see, we've seen this before. Le'Veon Bell was offered a really big contract by the Pittsburgh Steelers. He turned it down, tested free agency, and then when he hit free agency, realized, oh, uh, the Steelers' offer was the best I was offered, and signed a smaller contract, the best he was offered with the New York Jets. You tell me, what team beside the Dallas Cowboys is going to offer Dak Prescott a $100 million contract? I just don't think it's out there for Dak Prescott. I don't. $100 million from the Dallas Cowboys is the best deal Dak Prescott's going to get. I just don't see another team that's like, yeah, let's give you a bunch of money. Maybe, maybe the Panthers, maybe the Chargers. That's it. Other teams are like, no way. And I think mo those two teams are like, like, the Chargers are happy you know, drafting Justin Herbert or a quarterback in the draft rather than giving Dak Prescott a massively overpriced deal. And so to me, it's so insane that Dak Prescott would turn down $100 million. I cannot believe it. You know, his whole argument that he's worth more than he's getting offered is that Dak Prescott goes, well, I got a bunch of really good stats last year. <laughs> really good stats. Yeah, you earned a bunch of really good stats and yards in garbage time when your team is losing by a bunch of points. That's not that interesting. I, just, I don't know, man. I just can't believe it. Dak is solid. He's a good leader. 
I like Dak. He's very stable, but he's got very average accuracy. He's a very average quarterback. And the reality about Dak Prescott is that he needs help in order to win football games. He needs a good team around him. So I just I go back to this. I cannot believe Dak Prescott turned down a $100 million deal. Uh, now, the reality is maybe that deal never existed. Maybe his team leaked the story to try to drive the price up for Dak Prescott. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that's what happened. Maybe in the Sony-Nintendo thing, what happened was the guy said, hey, I got offered $1.2 million, hoping it would drive up the price of the auction. I don't know. But I just don't believe Dak Prescott is as highly sought after of a free agent quarterback as he believes. I would rather have Phillip Rivers. I'd rather have Jameis Winston. I'd rather have Marcus Mariota. I'd way rather have Tom Brady. Dak Prescott is not even nearly the best quarterback on the market if he hits free agency, not even close. And so, um, especially not at the $100 million price tag. I, I take Dak Prescott at a discount. He's a good, cheap, solid quarterback. I'm not paying him $100 million. And so, uh, Dak is the big storyline to me. Tom Brady, Jameis Winston, Phillip Rivers, and Dak Prescott are the four. I'm like, I cannot wait to see what happens with these quarterbacks. Um, and I think it's really, really possible that the Cowboys decide to move on from Dak Prescott, find a cheaper option at quarterback. And it's even more possible that Dak struggles in the free agent market. Maybe the Cowboys say, hey, we're not going to give you $100 million. We're going to give $100 million to Jameis Winston or trade for Marcus Mariota or move up in the draft and draft a quarterback. I mean, I just, I don't think paying Dak Prescott $100 million is a good deal for anybody. And I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I would really be not surprised at all if the Cowboys just moved on and found a different option at quarterback rather than giving Dak Prescott the money he wants. Quarterback Ryan Tannehill just signed a four-year deal worth $118 million with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, He will make an average of $29.5 million a year. That is $91 million in total guarantees. And uh, this does not surprise me at all that he would get a big contract and that the Titans would sign him. Uh, Many people believed that Tom Brady might go to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, I personally never thought that was going to happen. You got to look at the long-term goal of the Titans. Uh, they want to, you know, Ryan Tannehill is a younger quarterback. He's the guy they've succeeded with before. He's the guy they know. Um, and let's face it, Ryan Tannehill is the reason why the Titans made the playoffs last year. He's the thing that brought in the, uh, the amount of change they needed, and he's the catalyst that got them to the playoffs. Um, and it's funny, even last, you know, even the years that Ryan Tannehill was in Miami, Ryan Tannehill was always a solid quarterback. He was just never healthy. And I got to point out that it's funny. The one time Ryan Tannehill finally joined a really good team in Tennessee. Oh, he was really good. Oh, shock. He succeeded. A lot of people constantly disrespect Ryan Tannehill. They say that Derrick Henry did all the work. He ran for a bunch of yards. He carried the Titans. And that simply just isn't true. Uh, You know, down the stretch, even when Derrick Henry was running for a bunch of yards in the playoffs, Ryan Tannehill made a bunch of key plays, key runs, key throws on third down. In the red zone, he beat man coverage regularly with his arm. Ryan Tannehill showed, especially in the playoffs, especially in the run towards the end of the year last year, he's an efficient Really good quarterback who can make key plays when they're needed. Uh, It makes a lot of sense for the Titans to pay him a ton of money. I'm just not shocked by it. I'm not surprised. Um, You know, the the reality is that this is the market for quarterbacks in 2020. You pay guys a lot of money. You probably overpay them. That's how it is now. Um, I think the Titans did exactly what they had to in order to secure a long-term plan with the starting quarterback. And what's interesting is that, you know, the sad reality here is that this probably helps Dak Prescott. Sad or not, depending on who you're a fan of. Um, I think that the Cowboys are probably going to have to now pay Dak Prescott the money he wants. or Who knows? But this there's a possibility here that this impacts the market for Dak Prescott and helps Dak Prescott make the money he really wants from the Cowboys. Um, but again, I am not surprised at all that the Tennessee Titans signed Ryan Tannehill to this large contract and gave him the money he got. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, I want to end the show this way. Four years ago, my younger brother took his life. He committed suicide. It was really, really painful, really, really terrible. Um, and I learned two really painful lessons. And so what I want to do is talk about how, you know, if you're struggling, please go get help. Please go get help. My, you know, my brother suffered in silence. My brother never told anybody he was having a hard time. I encourage you, please, if you're having a hard time, 
go talk to somebody. Do not suffer in silence. One day I came home. My brother was dead on the floor. Nobody had any idea that was coming. Nobody was able to prepare for it. Um, so I ask you, please go get help. Go talk to a teacher, a counselor, a professor, a person in authority. Please go get help from somebody. Do not suffer in silence. If you're struggling, talk to somebody. If you have nobody to talk to, if you really truly, if there's not a single person you can reach out to in your life for help, then you can call the suicide hotline. The suicide hotline is one 800 273-8255. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The second thing I want to talk about is make sure the people in your life know how much you care about them. Make sure the people in your life know that you're there for them. If they're having a hard time, that you support them, they got your back. Um, you know, my brother and I hung out all the time and we talked about video games and movies and sports and girls. And we never really had a conversation with a lot of depth. We just didn't. It's just the honest truth. And I regret that. I wish my brother and I had had more deeper level conversations. And I, I encourage you, if you're out there, make sure the people in your life know how much you care about them. They know how much they, you love them. Tell the people in your life who love them, give them hugs. Make sure they know that if they're struggling, they can come talk to you if they need help. I want to read something. It's a Jim Carrey quote. It's something I really, really love. Jim Carrey once said this. He said, I believe depression is legitimate. But I also believe that if you don't exercise, eat nutritious food, get sunlight, get enough sleep, consume positive material and surround yourself with support, then you are not giving yourself a fighting chance. Again, give yourself a fighting chance, right? Depression is a real thing, but do all the other things to take care of yourself to make sure that you're doing everything you can. Uh, I love that quote. Again, I'll read it one more time. Jim Carrey once said, I believe depression is legitimate, but I also believe that if you don't exercise, eat nutritious food, get sunlight, get enough sleep, consume positive material, surround yourself with support, then you aren't giving yourself a fighting chance. Go outside. Go make friends, go bowling, go for a walk, go do things you enjoy. Give yourself a fighting chance in life. And if you need help from depression, go get help. I encourage you, if you're struggling, please go get help. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. The next episode will be Ask Zach. We've got a lot of good stuff. It'll be really fun. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. bam Oh, be safe. Remember, uh, the television road is out there. It will affect your health. So... Now, wash your hands. Don't be afraid to self-quarantine yourself if you can for a little bit. I'm pretty lucky. I work from home. Uh, but please be safe out there. I love you guys. Thank you so much. But um, bam, we are done.